Chapter Thirteen of the Cellar House of Pervyse by Mary Chisholm and Elsie Knocker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Thirteen Shelled Out. General Jacquet, commanding the Belgian army, had been once or twice to call upon the ladies of the post. But when he came in a day or two after this, accompanied by three staff officers, there was something official in his air which set them on the alert mrs knocker and mary stood before him a little confused at the magnificence of his salute which had a sort of special impressiveness about it they watched him wondering what on earth was coming as he drew out a paper was this at last a notice to quit the general's air of satisfaction hardly portended that he said with great dignity i have been sent by his majesty the king of the belgians to inform you that he has created you knights chevaliers of the order of leopold the second and i ask you ladies to accept my most sincere congratulations and he handed them the king's order for a moment they stood stock still dumbfounded not realizing all it meant only perceiving with a rush of gladness that what they had tried to do had been known and appreciated by the hero king for whom they cherished the deepest admiration it was so unexpected that it was a little difficult to assimilate from time to time some of the officers had let fall hints of a possible decoration but that it would be other than a medal bestowed at the end of the war had never entered their heads it was not until general jacquet had left that they were able to think coherently and then they drank each other's health in a glass of horlick's malted milk it came out later that the king's attention had been drawn to them since that first awful day at mele when they had insisted on going back under fire and bringing out the german wounded the episode of their driving to furne alone and unprotected five german prisoners had also been brought to the king's notice mrs knocker's marvellously heroic work in driving the ambulances under terrible conditions when even hardened chauffeurs gave way had made her name famous and their steady and purposeful work under constant fire at pervyse where the king had himself seen them had been the culminating point one thing had led to another and had it not been for the previous work which had shown such unusual qualities of pluck and devotion the development of this post at pervyse could never have been permitted it was only very exceptional women who could be trusted to keep their heads amid such strange and trying conditions which demanded the utmost discretion and resource and now that the king had set his seal upon the work and given it his countenance they were in quite a different position gypsy recognized with joy not only the personal honour which she valued as highly as any one could but the greatly increased opportunities of usefulness it opened the way for in the future the sequel came in a message from the king asking whether they would like him to send the insignia or whether they would go to him to receive the decoration at his hands they chose the latter naturally the day fixed was february first on which many of the officers were to be decorated curiously enough it coincided with the birthday of little kenneth mrs knocker's only child the two who were to be decorated had agonizedly inquired of everyone exactly what was the etiquette of the occasion and what they ought to say and do but they were both extremely nervous and a cold blustery day did not improve matters here is mary's description of that nerve-trying morning 
a lot of dashing round trying to find things and vainly hoping to improve our appearances falling over everything and getting in each other's way the wind blew straight from the sea bringing with it a tang that bit pink cheeks and made noses unbecomingly red they were clad in weather-stained khaki knickers long leather coats and high boots with khaki wool caps bearing in brass letters the number of the army division to which they were attached they stood ranged in rank at the end of a long line of officers for about three hours mary is much the fairer of the two and her clear blue eyes have something in them of the glint seen in the eyes of a man who knows not fear they are so limpid and candid no one could dream of the horrid experiences and revolting sights which have bitten deep into the life of this brave little scot and have so she says made her feel ten years older since she went to belgium mrs knocker's eyes are hazel or as someone has called them khaki colour all the hastily acquired ideas concerning etiquette fled from their minds when the immensely tall king towered above them his sad deep blue eyes looking down upon them as he pinned the cross on their tunics he talked with them a long time in english and asked many questions about pervyse expressing his personal gratitude for their work among his beloved soldiers and when he had passed on to decorate others they realized with something like dismay that he had so completely enthralled them they had quite forgotten to curtsy and had talked with him as if he had been a kind friend or one of the officers who came familiarly in and out of the Jeanne house the tufty grass was iced and when they came to themselves again they found their feet were too miss may sinclair in an article in the daily chronicle about this time says the special correspondent has missed mrs knocker altogether and yet perhaps it is by her services and those of miss mary chisholm that the monroe ambulance has best proved the fitness of women in the actual field she goes on to speak of what they had endured the net of death around a field ambulance is at times woven so fine that only by a miracle can they escape it there was no limelight on the field at mele on that road between dixmude and fjorn or among the blood and straw in the cellar at pervyse in a private letter to one of mrs knocker's near relations miss sinclair says you will have heard of the great honour that has just been bestowed on her mrs knocker and miss chisholm they have both been made chevalier of the order of leopold ii which is a great honour and given by the king himself i dare say she has not been able to tell you how thoroughly she has deserved it but you will realise that i am rejoiced it has come so soon and come to them alone of the corps for there is not one of them that has done such fine work so unobtrusively and untiringly or shown quite such splendid courage as they and it has been so sad to know all this and to see other people getting the credit for what they have done the establishing and carrying through of the dressing station at pervyse was done by mrs knocker and miss chisholm only i hear that there are several conjectures as to what particular deed has won them this honour i wish i could have done more to make their splendid work known as it should be it was enough honour for any woman to have been with them and to have seen some of it however when the new decorations were freshly pinned on their tunics they were very shy about them and buttoning their leather coats over them they went into the town to try to buy something special to take back to celebrate the occasion and to their great joy managed to procure a leg of mutton 
in the inn they encountered some of the naval officers who had not been present at the ceremony and were surprised to see them both together so far from their cheery little village their curiosity was uncompromisingly snubbed but men of the sea are not easily put off when they want to know anything and at last they wormed out the secret then they called three cheers for king albert until the roof rang it was justice with a big j when you were singled out said one of them cordially so far as i know you are actually the only women right up in the firing line at all and you jolly well shouldn't be he added after a pause it was true nurses work at base hospitals which are established beyond the fire zone some canteens are fairly near but none can be said to be right up at the front but these two girls had not only been there but been there all the time which is more than could be said of the soldiers themselves who were withdrawn and changed at intervals members of the ambulance corps had dashed in and out and given a hand now and again but gipsy and mary were the only two who had in the slangy but expressive phrase stuck it out all the time the post was due to them and them alone it was gipsy's idea and her personality only had made it possible yet this view was not taken in all quarters there were some who loved the limelight and having been in it pretty frequently thought the king must have suffered from myopia to pass them over though as a matter of fact he had really proved his uncommon keenness of vision on their arrival back at pervyse the two found themselves plunged into a white heat of excitement the avant-poste right out on the long road across the water had been taken by the germans so often had they visited that post at nights with jugs of hot chocolate that they felt a keen personal interest in it and when the belgian guns began to talk and express their views of the matter they listened with eager attention wondering anxiously if the shells fell straight and true the noise of course was terrific this was no time for economizing munitions and the many batteries went to work wholeheartedly to help out the infantry and by ten o'clock that evening the post was recovered now that the king had recognized their work it was on a different footing altogether the headquarter staff approached gipsy with the request that she would open another post similar to that at pervyse elsewhere on the front a higher compliment could hardly have been paid to the utility of the work but there were great difficulties in the way of compliance it would be impossible to have the two posts sufficiently near together to be run at once even the coming and going between the two houses in little pervyse had been a greater strain than they had anticipated and yet if the posts were to be run separately who was to look after them excellently trustworthy as mary had proved herself she was too young to be left in charge of one alone so they asked for time to consider the matter and meantime went to Wimeru for a few days holiday with friends and while there celebrated mary's nineteenth birthday she had a birthday cake with a cupid and candles in the centre though the cupid surely must have been a jest as he was not in mary's line at all when they returned on march third they were greeted by a salvo of shells and the pluck and nerve possessed by nineteen years old can best be gauged by the following incident two men were brought into the post too far gone for anything to be done they were bad head cases the most shocking of all forms of wounds and the brains were protruding mary says immediately they were dead we took them out and put them in the back yard shells were coming in all the time we helped to search through the clothes of the poor fellows one a boy of nineteen had only been in the trenches two days 
as i was searching through the pockets of a big overcoat i came across the brains of one of the men evidently blown there by the force of the explosion and she adds sedately a very curious incident the shelling continued with unabated force and the belgian doctor martin grew uneasy saying the post was no place for wounded men to be in and they ought to get away at once but what could be done it was also much too dangerous to take them down that shell-swept street so for the time they had to remain where they were the next day terrible cases continued to accumulate nearly all these ghastly head wounds which proved so fatal that one after another of the poor fellows had to be carried out and laid on the veranda poor lads only about mary's own age who had gone up singing to the trenches the evening before all the morning of the fourth the cruel heart-tearing work went on dr martin who was one of the best and staunchest of men slipped out to get his lunch with the officers but returned directly afterwards he was wanted elsewhere and had only come back to get his mackintosh while he stood there a military ambulance came up to carry away the dead bodies it had required some fortitude for the chauffeur to bring it through for the shelling was still going on though it was not quite so bad as it had been the chauffeur leapt from the car and with that desperate feeling which leads every one to rush to shelter even though they know it affords no real protection he ran into the kitchen where there were another chauffeur and the orderlies as he did so there came an appalling crash one of those which spoke of something more than a mere burst and they all knew the house itself had been struck stones and mortar came clattering down and stray bricks flew about amid a great cloud of evil-smelling smoke and choking dust the chauffeurs and orderlies staggered through into the living-room where the shock had been slighter holding their arms up over their faces to protect their eyes which nevertheless were smarting with bits and splinters as the confusion slowly calmed down like a death knell in the hearts of the two devoted women rang the word evacuation they knew there was no chance of staying after this once already they had hung on to a post until it had actually been struck and they had been driven out and now they must retreat a second time get on your hats and coats and make a rush for it someone shouted the chauffeur recovering himself gallantly went first expecting every second the impact of another large shell and got his car turned ready for the rest then they all rushed out tumbling into it pell-mell knowing that each second's delay might cost them all their lives so they fled leaving a piece of their hearts behind at the dear little post which had sheltered them they were followed down the road by the belgian doctor in his own car but before they reached the brasserie where was the headquarters of colonel flebou the doctor was struck and fell there was a boy from the congo personal attendant of one of the officers a faithful lad who stuck to his master through thick and thin and many times proved his brave heart he dashed out and carried the doctor in triumphantly and when he was examined they thought his wounds were not serious and he would live for many a day to continue the work he had done so unweariedly alas gangrene set in and he died the two were welcomed at the brasserie and the colonel said that of course they must give up all idea of being at the post for the future once the german guns had been trained actually upon it it was only a matter of time when it would be demolished altogether so miserably they waited their hearts heavy with sorrow until about five o'clock when the shelling having subsided they went back to collect all they could from the ruined house it was a dismal sight 
the kitchen was a shapeless mass and in falling had made a natural tomb for the poor dead bodies on the veranda the walls were riddled and one soldier who had taken refuge in the shed adjoining that they called the garage had been killed as he stood it was very difficult for the two friends to know where to go now they were refugees however that evening found them at la panne a little place on the sea-coast the most miserable-looking objects you could find covered with mud and blood and terribly depressed at this wholesale retreat forced upon them which came across their high spirits like a shameful bruise they remained ten days or so at la panne walking along the sand-hills and thinking things out everything was in a state of flux and uncertainty hard to bear some of the officers who knew gipsy's passion for riding lent her their horses and many a good gallop she had passing through the dunes covered with coarse bent grass beaten down by the wind out on to the firm flat sands where the grey sea frothed and moaned one day she was riding with one of the artillery officers and as she went off full stretch he was left a little behind all at once he yelled halt with such swift unexpectedness and ferocity that she pulled up sharply looking behind i really thought i must have dropped my horse's tail amid the immensity of desolate sand walked one simple little lady who was taking an afternoon stroll and the officer was sitting very erect in his saddle with his hand at the salute all too late gypsy gathered that she had ridden at full speed past the noble queen of the belgians of whom it has been said she is the greatest heroine in history it seemed as if fate was to compel them to miss the queen and the chagrin was most mortifying the belgian military authorities soon communicated with mrs knocker and things began to be put on a better footing the last threads that bound her and mary to the ambulance corps now temporarily at coxide were severed the two were officially attached to the third division of the belgian army they were asked to continue their work but at the same time it was announced that no women except these two were to be allowed near the front at all it was inevitable the establishment of the post at pervyse had been the signal for the crowd of sightseers and those who loved the limelight to dash in and out often bringing visitors who had nothing whatever to do with ambulance work but came out of mere curiosity frequently even those who might have helped instead of setting to work and lending a hand in times of emergency merely made the tour of the trenches thereby disturbing everyone and making themselves a nuisance this could not be permitted any more the decree went forth and henceforward gypsy and her companions were singled out and set apart from all other women in the sight of the army of which they became a part and to them alone was accorded this great privilege of remaining in the place of honour and danger they were asked to establish their post again wherever they thought advisable and meantime were granted ten days leave to go over to england to arrange their affairs and incidentally to collect funds which were sorely needed they might well have used this conge for complete rest but in some ways it was harder than anything they had done yet gypsy soon discovered that if she herself could tell the people in england about the work being done and of the actual state of the case there was none so mean of soul as to grudge his pence but the telling was a great strain to rush about and lecture and allow interviews which she loathed tried her sorely it was at this time that she focused into words the idea which had seemed to her more worth while doing than anything else in life 
the great object of my work the theory on which i have been acting in which my experience has proved to be sound she says is the treatment of the wounded for shock before anything else we have saved many a man who has been brought into my station saying i don't care what you do to my wound get me warm the effects of shock are worse in many cases than the wounds it is not difficult to imagine it perhaps when one is under fire when a shell is coming one feels like shrivelling up even if one is not hit the effect upon the nervous system is very trying if a man is hit in such circumstances the effects are much worse for a time some are like mad people i have known a man wounded and under ordinary conditions unable to trot run round and round my dressing-table unable to stop another poor fellow brought in wounded in the lung was stone grey with cold unconscious and apparently lifeless he was given up as hopeless and it was said that if an attempt were made to get him back to the hospital he would certainly die on the road i got him in front of the fire wrapped him in hot blankets applied hot water bottles rubbed his extremities and got him warm after two hours work he roused up and asked for a drink that man is now convalescent in a hospital in england and is expecting to go back to the front that is one case out of many the object of my dressing station situated as near as i can possibly get it to the trenches is to provide a place of rest for the wounded they are made comfortable and warm and given some hours rest before being jogged over the rough belgian roads to the hospitals where their hurts can be attended to if the wounded soldiers can rest out of the trenches before being treated they recover quicker in the ordinary way the wounded remain in the trenches until night when the military ambulances can be brought up for them our work is to get them out of the trenches as soon after they are hit as possible no wonder all those who heard her story were melted by it and money came in rapidly at any rate rapidly enough for the little they needed lord norreys gave an ambulance car a sixteen to twenty horsepower wolseley which had been presented to the st john ambulance association by sutton coldfield and district this did the most wonderful work described later with two hundred pounds in hand the two returned to pervyse full of cheer they were proud and pleased to find themselves for the first time beyond the hand-to-mouth state they had always hitherto existed in and knowing how far they could make the money go they felt quite rich and above the possibility of want for some time to come they were once more in belgium before the end of march and began to look about for a lodging naturally they returned to pervyse which had so strong a hold on their affections just outside the village farther out than the poor ruined jeanny house was a little place called the villa espagnole which it seemed to them might be made to do it was in a filthy state but that was easily remedied mary started at once to scrub it with that thoroughness characteristic of her while gipsy went into la panne to fetch out the possessions they had left there but all the time mary scrubbed she felt uncomfortable there was something lonesome and decayed about that villa an awful smell of the dead and more than once she got up and went outside to draw in a long breath of the clean air before getting on with her natural vigour directly gipsy returned with the pots and pans she had to go out again to retrieve a wounded man and she was away a long time dusk began to gather and with it there crept up like a thickening fog this eerie feeling that could no longer be ignored least imaginative of persons there is yet in mary that vein of second sight so often found in her countrymen 
and an audible voice whispered softly to her in warning take care leave this place you mustn't stay here so strong did the obsession become that she left off trying to do anything and went outside preferring to wait in the road though it was now pitch dark until gipsy came back the villa was very small it consisted only of two downstairs rooms and one upstairs there were two or three steps down to the road and these opened directly from the principal room this room itself communicated with the kitchen at the back by another two steps and from it also a stairway led up to the room above beneath this stairway was a third door bolted and barred which gave access to some cellar or underground place mary stood at the foot of the front steps in the road until she heard the welcome sound of the returning car the wounded man was bound up and sent back to lapin in charge of the chauffeur who presently returned the fire burnt cheerfully enough that evening as they ate their simple supper of bread and butter but though mary naturally said nothing about her odd feelings gipsy got up once or twice and moved uneasily round like a dog or a cat in a new house and even while she was sitting her eyes roved about disquietingly they had thrown down plenty of straw in one corner and laid their two sleeping-bags upon it and in another corner there was straw for the new chauffeur augustus who had superseded tom required for duty elsewhere they called him augustus for the all-sufficient reason that he looked like it the fire was still well alight when they tucked up in their sleeping-bags for the night but it did not seem to produce any warmth there was a chill as of death in the air and the something kept on its almost audible whisper go away go away at last even matter-of-fact mary could bear it no longer and creeping nearer to her friend she felt for her hand what is it asked gipsy startled gipsy there is something dead in here but yet it's not dead gipsy sat upright suddenly i haven't dared to tell you she said but ever since i have been in this house something has been saying quite distinctly in my ear go and it makes me feel cold all over but mary it isn't real cold it's a queer kind of cold that never gets warm any more they had spoken in whispers but suddenly the chauffeur sat up and said in french il y a quelque chose de je ne sais quoi they were not apt to suffer from nerves those three they had seen death too often and in too many horrid forms to be scared by it but now they knew it was something beyond death that had awed them something which was vague and terrible and to all three it seemed as if this thing was behind that rusty barred door it was imprisoned yet menacing and was trying intangibly to thrust them away they did not sleep at all for the remainder of the night and were glad when the morning dawned without consulting each other they had simultaneously made up their minds that this house was impossible and as soon as they could they went to headquarters and stated that it was unsatisfactory without giving reasons and asked for suggestions as to settling elsewhere afterwards there came rumours of the strange influence of that house on others besides themselves a priest had been living there and was unable to move because his military duties tied him to the place and there was no habitable corner elsewhere in it from the first he had felt uncomfortable but had struggled against the nameless horror that crept into his veins and in the end he had gone mad with it End of chapter 13 Recording by Expatria in Bangor, Maine